I'd like to tell you a story this morning. Once upon a time, there was a man named Robert who couldn't forgive. Robert had had a normal childhood like most of us and had experienced rebuffs and frustrations from people. But like most of us, he had rolled with the punches and was moderately happy. But when Robert became a young man, all this changed. He decided that no longer was he going to take life lying down. No longer was he going to take things from people. So one day when his roommate rushed through his dinner and ran off to a movie leaving his plate on the table, Robert started burning with anger, seething inside over the presumption of his roommate to leave those dirty dishes there for him to have to clean up or for him to have to look at all evening. And he just burned all evening until the roommate came home. And then he talked to him about it and asked that he not do that sort of thing again. The roommate repented and promised never to do it again. But two weeks later, the event repeated itself. And that was too much for Robert. Pretty soon, the very side of the roommate would make his stomach turn and his face would grow contorted in his bitterness. So Robert had to move out. Before too long, he met a young lady who, with whom he fell in love and they got married and she brought a bit of happiness into his life. Until one day, he discovered her dirty socks left lying on the floor. And that was too much for this young man. Imagine her impudence, her insensitivity and thoughtlessness to leave those dirty, smelly socks lying on the floor for him to have to pick up and throw in the dirty hamper, dirty clothes hamper. And that was too much. Very quickly, that marriage ended. Robert went through a couple of other marriages. But the more he observed, the more he realized that, gee, everybody did things that offended him and injured them. And soon he was finding that, every, that he was getting, becoming alienated from everybody around him. Every relationship that he had was spoiled because they wronged him. Slowly but surely, smiles and laughter became unknown experiences to him because he was too busy holding all of these grudges. And Robert died prematurely, high blood pressure and ulcerated stomach that were caused by his bitterness. The undertaker working on him couldn't produce the normal pleasant smile of one who looks like he's resting because Robert's face was so contorted with the look of bitterness that he couldn't remove. But it didn't really make any difference because nobody came to the funeral anyway. Well, his case is an extreme one, maybe, of what an unforgiving spirit can do to you. But there's always a heavy price to pay when we don't forgive. Let me put it to you this way. What's more pleasant for you? Being, feeling kindly, friendly, and loving towards people? Or feeling irritated and resentful 
and angry and bitter. Which would you rather do? And enjoy life and make the most of it in spite of people's failures to live up to your expectations and desires? Or get bent out of shape every time they do something that you don't like? And have your attitude grow rotten because of their actions? Of course, when we put it that way, there's no choice. We would all say we'd rather have a forgiving spirit and pass over those things quickly and not let them burn inside of us. And yet, how do you forgive someone who has offended you? How can you forgive somebody who has wronged you grievously and repeatedly? What if he doesn't turn from his sin? He keeps doing the same thing over and over. I know some of you women have gone through a divorce and you wonder, how can I forgive a man who has run off with somebody else, left me alone with the kids, not given any child support, and then tried to take my car and house away from me? How can I forgive such a man? Or you might think, how can I forgive a person at work who spreads rumors about me and makes the boss suspicious of me and therefore he passes over me when it comes time for promotion? How can I forgive somebody who has wronged me like that? Well, we want this morning to look at the life of Joseph. Because Joseph was deeply wronged by his brothers, and yet he forgave. You know the story. Joseph's brothers were jealous, and so they sold him into slavery. And he was a slave in Egypt for 13 years. A number of those years, he was a prisoner in a jail. And certainly if one would hold a grudge, we would think Joseph would be such a one. It wasn't as if Joseph had done some horrible thing to his brothers that they were getting back at. It was merely petty jealousy. They almost killed him, but ended up selling him into slavery. And yet when we, as we shall see, Joseph forgave his brothers for what they did. And the question we want to ask is, how could he do that? How could he come to forgive them for acting that way towards him? And as we look at his life, we will discover some important lessons in how we can forgive those who offend us. Turn to chapter 45 of the book of Genesis. In chapters 42 to 44, Joseph meets his brothers for the first time after being separated for over 20 years. But when he meets them first, he doesn't reveal his identity to them. Instead, he accuses them of being spies. He makes them bring Benjamin down to Egypt. He plants his silver goblet in Benjamin's saddlebags and then accuses him of thievery and threatens to enslave Benjamin. He does all this before he forgives them. And when we read those chapters, we think, gee, this is rather strange. Why is he doing all this? Is he just playing games with his brothers? Is he meaning to inflict great pain upon them to get back at them and he just chickens out at the last minute and forgives them? He doesn't have courage to 
carry through with his intentions? Well, I think not. If you see all the way through, Joseph weeps for them. He's deeply moved by their presence. I think what Joseph was doing was making his brothers face up to their sin. Not out of vengeance, but out of love for them. Indeed, in chapter 42, we read there that when these things started happening, the brothers said, God is punishing us for what we did 20 years ago to Joseph. And they were facing their sins because of what he had done, because of what he did to them, through what he did to them. But in chapter 45, he finally does reveal himself to them. And let's read verses 3 to 9. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. The first thing that we see here that enabled Joseph to forgive his brothers, we find in verse 5. He was concerned for their feelings. He took pity upon them. Let's read that verse again. And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Usually when we're offended by somebody, we get so caught up in our own feelings that we're not giving a thought to the feelings of the other person, the person who offended us. We're so busy thinking, oh, I can't believe he did that to me. Do you realize how that makes me feel? We're so caught up in ourselves, we don't give a thought to the other person. But Joseph did. He reached out to them. He put himself in their shoes. He thought about their needs. He got beyond the self-pity. That's a very helpful thing to do when somebody has wronged you and asked for forgiveness. Put yourself in their shoes. Think about them. Not only is it necessary, is it helpful to do to, to bring about, for, to help you forgive the person, but it's also really a necessary prelude to complete forgiveness. Because many times all we want to give is a partial forgiveness. I forgive you, but I can never forget what you have done. Or sometimes we respond, well, I forgive you, but don't expect me to warm up to you for quite a while. I have to get over this. Because we really, we really don't want to forgive. We feel like we should. We really don't want to. And so we're all caught up in how sorry we feel for ourselves. 
And sometimes we would think, well, gee, don't I have a right to feel hurt? I mean, after what you did to me, don't I have a right to feel sorry for myself, at least some? And we all feel like that. But when we do, we need to ask ourselves, well, who gave us that right? Does the Constitution or the Bill of Rights include a clause granting us the inalienable right to feel sorry for ourselves, to feel hurt when people wrong us? Does the Bible grant us that right? And we read through the Bible, we find no, it doesn't. We find rather disturbing words instead, such as in 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, You are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. Jesus Christ paid the price of his blood, given up in death, to buy you, ransom you out of sin, and your slavery to it. You are his. You don't have the right to feel hurt, to be sorry for yourself, to do what you want to do, and feel like doing. Rather, your obligation is to follow the example of your Lord. When people offended him, spat in his face, beat him, accused him unjustly, and hung him on a cross, what did he do? Oh, the awful thing that people are done, have done to me. Oh, I don't know if I can ever live through this. I don't know if I can ever get over this kind of thing. No, he didn't do that. He was concerned for them and prayed, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And it's this godly example that Joseph also exemplified here. And that's a help to us, an example for us to follow. Think about those who have been offended. Put yourself in their shoes, those who have offended you. Put yourself in their shoes. Have pity on them, and it will help you then come to forgive them. We see in this passage a second thing that Joseph did. Again, verse 5, For God sent me here before you to preserve life. And then again in verse 8, Now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph saw God's hand in what had happened. It's true that his brothers had acted as free moral agents and, what, and they were guilty for what they had done. God hadn't forced them to be evil. And yet, Joseph saw that God was sovereignly working through the evil action of those brothers. And God had brought him down there so that he could become prime minister of Egypt and then preserve the life of his family. And that's helpful for us to do the same sort of thing, to see God's hand in what's happening. Because if we can, then we can forgive much more easily. Because pain is always easier to bear if we sense that there's a purpose behind it. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like it very much when people try to stick needles and pins in my body. And yet when I go to a doctor's office and get an injection, I do it gladly and submit to it because I know it's going to help out my health. Because I know that pain that he inflicts is for a good purpose. So I don't really mind it. When I was in high school, I played football on the high school football team. As I look back on it, sometimes I wonder at the agony that I endured so willingly. But we would endure agony every spring and fall during uh, training. 
And yet we joyfully accepted this, our lot in life, because of the great exalted purpose behind it all. Namely, that we could be looked up to as as studly athletes by our fellow students. Receive the glory that was due us as football players. So we sensed a purpose in it, and we would gladly endure the pain. As a matter of fact, we'd even glory if we received some kind of bruise or cut, particularly if it was on the face, where it would be noticeable by all of the girls. And if it required stitches, it was all the, the better. Because pain had a purpose then, and so he didn't really mind it. The same sort of thing can be true for us as we find people who wrong us. If we can see a purpose behind it, sure there's pain that's involved when people wrong you. But if you see it's for a good purpose, then it's not so bad. You can accept it and accept it willingly. And this is what we all need to do when people do things to us that, that we think are wrong. They fail to live up to our expectations. Now, we might not be able to see things in a detailed way that Joseph did. We may not be able to look back and say, Aha, this has all happened so that I could become prime minister and save the life of my whole family. But we do have the confidence of Romans 8, 28 and 29, which tells us that God works all things together for the good for us to conform us to the image of Christ. Therefore, next time you're pulling out in a street and somebody pulls, pulls out in front of you and you feel like blasting in the horn, shaking your fist and yelling a curse out the window at that guy, then remember that though he may have been evil in what he did, God was behind that. God was working out a good in your life. Maybe to make you patient. Or maybe you're one who worships your schedule. You think, I've got to be there and save 30 seconds, every 30 seconds possible, and get there as quickly as I can, do all things I want to do today. Maybe God is bringing that person into your life to make you realize that you're not your own God. You're not your own master. Next time you're slighted by somebody, maybe your husband forgets your birthday, your anniversary, or maybe you go into a room of people and they ignore you. They're all talking to somebody else. Nobody reaches out and talks to you. Instead of feeling hurt and offended, you need to see God's hand. See, maybe what God is doing is bringing about this kind of event to wean you from dependence upon the attention of other people. To wean you from that self-centeredness so that you can reach out and be more concerned with the feelings of others than you are about your own feelings. Because God is working behind, behind the scenes, behind all the events that happen to us to bring about good in our lives. And we can see that the person who wrongs us is simply part of God's plan for us then we can forgive. Because we see, well, gee, it's not so bad. On a human level, it looks like they greatly wronged me. But from God's perspective, I can see that this person is a help to me, helping to fulfill God's plan. Sure that when the 
pedicords got up that morning and saw the soap uh, advertisements all over their their I found it uh, posters all over the city. I'm sure they were tempted to feel bitterness at those people who were trying to ruin their campaign. And yet as they thought about it and realized that they were going to put up their phone numbers and, and particularly after they saw all the, the calls they got because of this and the curiosity that was peaked through this turn of events, they could see that those people they intended evil were simply part of God's plan and helping them evangelize Giesen. And we need to do the same sort of thing. Now in chapters, in the chapters that follow, Jacob and the whole family come down to Egypt. And Jacob gives his last blessing to his sons before he dies, and then he finally dies. In chapter 50. And then turn with me to chapter 50, verse, starting at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, if you read these intervening chapters, you find no place where Jacob said to the brothers, Now, after I die, go to Joseph and remind him that he needs to forgive you, that I wanted this. They apparently just made this up. They were afraid that maybe Joseph had just forgiven them provisionally just so his father wouldn't be hurt. And as soon as the father died, Joseph would would uh, throw off all restraints and lash out at them. They apparently made this up. Now, if you or I were Joseph and we realized that they had made this up, I think probably we would have responded you lousy bums, Dad didn't say that. If he had wanted to communicate that to me, he would have said it himself. He wouldn't tell you to tell me that after he died. He would have told me that himself before he died. Now, just because of that, I'm not going to forgive you. Now, we may have responded like that. But how did Joseph respond? He wept. He didn't weep out of anger but he wept out of compassion. And as we read on these next verses, it, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And again, we see the first secret in these chapters of how to forgive. He had pity on them. He had compassion on them. And here we see a, a new component to it. He 
was looking beyond their lying to what caused it. And he was thinking, gee, it's really too bad. These guys are insecure and afraid and anxious over what I might do to them. I've got to minister to their needs. Now, most of us would be angry at them for lying. But Joseph looked beyond that to the hurts inside uh, his brothers, his offenders, to see what caused them to lie. This is a good thing for us to do. When somebody blows up and has a temper, and we're tempted to get angry that they infringe upon our peacefulness by blowing up at such trifles all the time, We need to look beyond their anger and see, gee, what's causing it? This person must really be unhappy with life. Must be a lot of insecurities and inner frustrations. I need to reach out to him and minister to him. And that was the first step in Joseph's coming to forgive his brothers. He pondered their needs and had compassion upon them. And we also see, again, that he saw God's hand in what happened. Verse 20, And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. He again reaffirmed that he knew that God had brought this about for good purposes. And the good purpose he refers to here is God preserving the clan during a time of famine. I think we, because we have the whole of the book of Genesis, can see even more that God was doing through the evil action of these brothers. Joseph was limited in what he saw. We can see, you can remember uh, Genesis 15, when God promises that all the Canaanite inhabitants of the land would be exterminated, be rooted out, and God would give the land of Palestine to the descendants of Abraham. But he said he couldn't do it now because their iniquity was not complete. It wouldn't be just for God give them, to give them the land yet. So we can see that, that God's uh, moving the whole family to Egypt was one way to help prevent them from taking over the land at the wrong time. It was a way to work out his purposes in a just way. Another thing that we can do by, by reading through the whole book of Genesis is that we see that God needed to move them to Egypt to preserve them as a distinct family. Because it's apparent that the family lost their spiritual purpose. When we read the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we read of all these men. And he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. When we read of Jacob's twelve sons, we never find that expression. We never find a mention of his, of their, any of them building an altar and calling upon the name of the Lord. Not even Joseph. We also see a, a sense of purpose in that they wanted, in that the uh, early patriarchs wanted to be distinct from the Canaanite people. And Abraham makes his servant swear that he won't give a daughter of the land to Isaac to marry, but sends him up to Padam Aran. Aram, to uh, uh, get one of his relatives to marry. And then uh, Isaac and Rebekah do the same thing when procuring a son for Jacob. But when we get to the sons of Jacob, 
We read in chapter 38 that Judah looked upon a Canaanite woman. He uh, was attracted to her, and so he took her and married her. And God could see what was happening. The distinctness of the family was being threatened. If he didn't do something, the whole family would merge in to, uh, to be uh, part of the Canaanite people. Then how could they, who were half Canaanite, come in and, and uh, exterminate the Canaanites and dispossess them and take the land? So God sent them, the whole family to Egypt, a land of segregation. Look in chapter 43, verse 32 with me. 43.32 So they served Joseph by himself and his brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Egyptians were segregationists. It may have been for ritual purposes or it may have just been for racial purposes. But in any event, they wouldn't even eat with Joseph who was second in command of the whole nation, to sit down at table and eat with them would be an abhorrent thing to them. Look also in chapter 46, verse 34. Let's read verses 33 and 34. Joseph is counseling his brothers and says, And it shall come about when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were also social bigots. And they didn't want to have anything to do with people who were shepherds. They spent all day touching those dirty animals, getting all smelly. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. So God sent the whole family down to Egypt where they would be segregated, put in a ghetto. They're Hebrew ghetto, often in the land of Goshen, so that they could remain distinct as a family and grow into a nation, distinct from the inhabitants around them, and then go and take the land of Palestine under God's direction. Now, we can see all these things. Joseph, of course, didn't at this point. If we could just see the curtains of history opened, could see God's designs, we would see the same sort of thing, the same intricacies of God's purpose being enacted in our lives every day, at the wrongs, the slights, the hurts that people inflict upon us. Now, we can't see all that, and one reason is because God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. He wants us to learn to trust that he is working out good purposes, even if we don't know what they are. And if we believe that and think about it, it will help us to forgive those who hurt and wrong us. Then we see in Genesis 50 a third secret of forgiveness in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? In other words, he recognized that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And if he were to inflict vengeance upon his brothers, then he would be taking God's prerogatives, standing in God's place. 
And that's what we do whenever we are unforgiving. When we're unforgiving, even if it's just giving somebody the cold shoulder and the silent treatment, our purpose is to inflict pain upon that person. Make him pay for all the wrong that he's done to me. And so you're silent. And you won't talk. And they say, well, what's wrong? What did I do? Well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Which is a silly thing to say to people. It's how are they going to know if you don't tell them? But you do that because you want to inflict pain. Or maybe you say a sharp word back to them. To try to, to hurt them. Hit below the belt. Or maybe you bring up all the list of times they've done the same thing and they haven't changed. You'll never change. Why, you've done this before. Remember so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so time. And you bring it all out to make them pay for what they've done. Or maybe you just store up the memory in your mind of this hurt so that sometime, a week, a month, ten years later, when you have the opportunity, you might hurt them through slandering them and embittering somebody else to them. Would you know what he did to me one time? Or maybe then you'll have a chance to say an evil word. Or take some kind of action to inflict pain and get back. Well, we might not realize, but whenever we do that, whenever we're unforgiving, we are presuming to take God's place. That's rather presumptuous of it, isn't it? To think, I have the right to get back. And many times we don't even think about it. We don't even realize that we are trying to seek vengeance by just withholding forgiveness. We think, well, gee, that's very civil. You know, I could hit him in the nose. And yet even that more civil form is a, is a form of inflicting pain. And we need to realize that, as Joseph did. Am I in God's place? Don't worry about me. Now, when you're hurt by somebody, the feelings often are very deep. And it's hard just to say, I forgive you and it's all over with. But one way we can help work in our feelings is by employing these three secrets that Joseph exemplifies for us. If we get out of our own hurt feelings and think about that other person, what he must be going through or she. If we see God's hand in these turn of events and realize that he's bringing about a good, then I don't feel so sorry for myself. And if I think about, well, gee, if I don't forgive, then I'm really trying to take vengeance and and I'm putting myself up as, setting myself up as God. And as you think about those things, then it enables you to have your emotions released. Because your emotions build up when you keep thinking the other things. How horrible that was to do that to me. And the more you think about how hurt you are, the harder it is to forgive. But the more you think about these three things that Joseph exemplifies for us, the quicker you find that you can forgive those who have hurt you. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are selfish people. We are centered around ourselves and our own feelings and hurts. And it's hard to forgive. But we ask that you would help us to get beyond this selfishness 
Help us to learn these secrets that we have seen in Joseph's life and put them into practice. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.